Hello and welcome to JOSPT Insights, the podcast that aims to help you translate quality research to quality practice. I'm Claire Ardern, the Editor-in-Chief of the Journal of Orthopaedic and Sports Physical Therapy. It's great to have you listening today. Welcome back to the second part of our two-part episode with Dr. Dan Lorenz covering late-stage ACL rehabilitation. In this episode, we're covering the controversial topic of sport-specific testing, as well as the ever-talked-about return-to-sport testing criteria. We hope you enjoy. I've seen some of the things that you've said regarding sport-specific tasks and how that fits or maybe doesn't fit into physical therapy. Can you jump into your thoughts on what is or isn't sport-specific and what that really means in physical therapy rehabilitation? I think we have to be careful when we use that term. It's one of those terms in physical therapy like functional that we throw around, I think, recklessly. And we have to you have to understand what the point of view is or the perspective of the person that's saying you have to ask, well, what do you mean by that? Because the only way to be sport specific is to play the said sport, right? So nothing we're going to, we could certainly do things that look like lacrosse, right? But until you're in the context of the sport where there is physical and the cognitive demand of the sport, it's really hard to reproduce that. Specificity to me is both the movement patterns and then the metabolic systems that make up said sport. So if I have a hockey player, they're going to be more horizontally driven, whereas if I have a baseball or excuse me, basketball player, volleyball, they're going to be more vertically driven. So many of the activities I might do for them in the weight room are going to pattern that. That's where the sport specificity comes in. Um, when we're looking at actual sports activities, to me, a lot of those things are supplemental because our job is to fix the impairment that is not allowing them to be powerful. Paul Cormie wrote a paper in 2011. I'm going to butcher the quote, but basically whatever factor is the least developed factor that is not allowing your athlete to be powerful is what we need to address. And most of the time it's strength. And I'm sorry if, if I'm saying I'm back squatting at four months and I'm back squatting at six months, and I'm back squatting at nine months. If they have a strength deficit, you have to fix it, period. That's it. So Power is, is the variable. And again, this sounds like shameless self-promotion, but myself and several other <laughs> colleagues a number of years ago, we, we, I wanted to look at this because this is on the heels of me working in the NFL, being at the combine, and we look at all this stuff. What if any of these qualities actually dictate elite athletic performance? So what we did, we did this systematic review. We looked at rugby and soccer and any sport where they evaluated the elite level and the sub-elite level. And when they, whatever, whatever variables they tested, we wanted to, to see which variables did the elite separate themselves from the sub-elite. And no matter what sport it was, it was an anaerobic sport. No matter what sport, it was power. So the elites were better at the broad jump or the vertical jump or whatever it was, it was power. So um, again, I'm really long-winded here, but I'm trying to get people to understand that try as clinicians to not focus on making it look like soccer or make it look like lacrosse, because I don't care if you got a 30,000 square foot clinic, unless they're in there with their teammates or other people that are in the same spot in their rehab and they're able to do drills together where they have to react to a stimulus, you are not making it sport specific. Fix the impairment that gets them back on the soccer field, lacrosse field, basketball court, baseball field, and then let the sport specific stuff work itself out there. It makes a ton of sense. And those who listened to our episode with with Eric Mara will likely remember that he had a, a similar point of view, noting that sports specific in, in a true sense really can't be recreated in the clinic. And it's it's our job to focus on the impairments and make sure the patient can perform the tasks required of them appropriately and then allow the athlete to put that into play when they're out on the field. 
let me let me highlight maybe uh, a, again an exact example for you. Again, this is yesterday. So again, the same college soccer player I was telling you about. So uh, she she's about seven and a half months at this point, and, uh, and she's progressing along just fine. Confidence is high. Her ACL RSI was at nine last time we took it or last time we did it. So she she feels good about herself. Her IKDC was in the low 80s. So this is in about six months. So she's she's coming along well. But she's back doing team activities. She's conditioning. She's doing like just ball drills and stuff with her team. So she's reacting to teammates. She's doing 3v3 non-contact. So the thing I said, you are not to do contact. You are not to do sprinting. You can condition. You can work on your footwork. All of those things are fine. Anything with cones and ladders, you have at it. But when she's with me, we're working on figure of eight and like hairpin turns on that inside leg. We're working on 135 degree turns. So she is running out hard and then turning 135 degrees one way. So we're do, we'll do a handful of reps on each of those, but then we get right to the weights. So those are the, the things that she's still struggling with in her change of direction. It's a controlled environment. Yes, there's no ball. There's nobody to react to, but you've got to go controlled environment first before you go, or the whole control chaos continuum, right? We got to go control before we remove constraints. So we're working on those things with me because that's an impairment that she has. But again, of course, it's still a strength deficit. So we want to save a lot of effort and uh, energy for to, to lift heavy because she's going to do her sports specific stuff with her soccer team. I can't do it with her. So it's more it's more like what sports specific means to you. So you're still exposing her to the movements of sport. You're still exposing her to the change of direction and what she needs to do and how she needs to decelerate and load that knee in ways that she's going to do during her sport. But that's not sports specific because she's not playing soccer but you're still exposed exactly. to the same, the same exactly. things. So for any of the really young clinicians out there that are listening to this, try not to freak out about the fact that you've never ever seen anybody play high lie or you've never seen a professional log roller before. What's the impairment that's not getting them back on the log? What's the impairment that's not, whatever it is they have to do, your job is to fix the impairment, okay? Let the quarterback coach work on their throwing technique the different routes, those kind of things. Those coaches are going to have a better eye than you have. Unless you're an actual quarterback coach yourself and you're also a PT, it's going to be really hard for you to pick up those nuances, you know, that athletes have in different sports. You can't be a decathlete PT where you're, you know, you, you're an expert in all the movements and all the, the different patterns that they have to do. You just can't. What's the impairment? That's your job. Your job is to eventually cut them loose to their sport coach. And also, I think that also should put some people's minds at ease about like, oh my gosh, I don't have to know everything. You know, you still know their movements. You can incorporate them into their rehab, but you don't have to, like, you know, walk them through plays to, in order for them to, to return. To no, school. because the same therapists that are saying that, I want to ask them, can your athlete hinge? Can they perform a perfect bodyweight squat? Can they hinge on single leg? Like I, we are not doing those things. Right. As uh, so yeah. as a whole. So again, that is your job. Do those things and everything else will fall into place. It really is that simple. Squat, push, pull, hinge. If you ask me, Dan, what's the one nugget you would give to any therapist? I don't care if you're five minutes out of school or 20 years out of school. Be an expert at the basics. Understand how to load, how to do it the right way, how to figure out the load and execute the lifts and the movements with precision and everything's going to be fine. Um, okay. So now let's take that <laughs> soccer player that you were talking about. What are you going to look for, for her to fully be returned to sport? What is your criteria for your comfort and Hey, go do it all. 
here, I'll, I'll just share with you. There, there, there's even debates to even bother with hop tests and things like that. I think it's right. a piece of the puzzle. Uh, hop tests, if you, if that's the, to me, that is the minimum necessary, like, uh, before you consider releasing a sport. If there's any hesitation or concern there from hop tests, if you're having a hard time, you should be able to appoint, get to a point where you're not even sure which one's the injured one anymore. Uh, we will do the IKDC. The ACLRSI, I'll measure quad girth at both 10 and 20 centimeters proximal in the joint. Active range, passive range, I mentioned that soft tissue compliance. Can I push the heel to the glute? Does it is the push feel the same both sides that needs to be equal? Uh, and again, I think a lot of people don't have it. I have the luxury of having isokinetic testing, so we'll go through that. If you don't have that, handle dynamometry is, is a reliable way. I did it for a number of years in my own private practice. You can do it. Yes, it's not perfect, but there's a few studies that have shown that it correlates to isokinetic. We do do an anterior step-down test. We go through the standard hop test that everybody knows. We also have added the medial hop test based on Bart Dinganen's research recently. I do a single leg vertical jump. We do a few of those, of course, and look at reactive strength, so ground contact time. There is another test I use. It's a medial lateral cone. The cones are 18 inches apart. They're six inches high. It's for time. They're in the medial direction. They go one, two, three reverse course, go back, and they take two trips, and I time it. Now, this is very much not only a, a timer, but also the, the quality. So I mentioned all the time to athletes, like when they're doing, when we just are doing jump training, like when they're doing single leg hops, they hear their uninvolved side and they sound like a kitty cat and they, they do their involved side and they sound like there's a 12 year old on their back. They're not reacting to the ground well. So that's, a, so it's not only a quantity thing, like what's the number say, what's your percentage, but what do they look like doing it? That is critical. I'll also look at maybe not in that final test day, but I will have looked at a drop jump. So how did it look when they stick it? But then how did it look when they go to a drop vertical? And that tells a little bit about the reactive strength. We want a maximum vertical and low ground contact time. That's why a reactive strength is a, is a good thing to look at. Again, that is looking at just impairments. That's just impairments, right? So if we've addressed all of those things and all of those things look pristine, she's already back at practice. So it's the conditioning piece. Uh, we're now probably getting into more session RPE stuff because I'm hoping at this point intensity at practice is increasing right now. She right now is about 50% of her effort at practice, you know, maybe up to 75 because her strength isn't there, but eventually she's going to be doing her entire practice at full intensity and we're just not there yet. So this is where we're conversing together. Hey, what's your, uh, we are educating about the session RPE. Where are you at on your intensity during practice? Her confidence level hopefully is even going to be higher than what it was before. So this is very much a shared, you know, shared decision-making. That's another buzzword, right? This is where she and I are talking a lot about that. And a lot of it, what can I say is feel you do it 22 years. You just, you get a feel for, is this person ready or not? It's not just about the numbers or the quad index. Obviously, those are critical numbers, but there are qualitative aspects that are absolutely essential as well. And I hope listeners are taking notes or at least bookmarking this part of the episode because that was an exhaustive, comprehensive list of testing there and a fantastic opportunity for people to take a look at what they're doing for return to sport testing and what they maybe should think of adding to their repertoire. Because the more you test, the more impairments you are able to assess and the more likely you are to pick up on those impairments and hopefully make some meaningful changes there. And that dictates your programming. So if you, whether it's your hop test in a four months, six months, or eight months, whatever the, whatever it is, if it's they're maybe not being able to put the brakes on, I tested an athlete, I didn't rehab this athlete, a college basketball player, I just did her, I just did her ACL test, eight-month test a few, few weeks ago. 
she could not stop the train on the triple hop. She had no ability to put the brakes on. So here's somebody again that you need to get, I know you're this far out. I'm sorry, but we have to get back to the eccentric exercise to work on your control of landing. So again, that's your job therapist. Don't worry about specific lacrosse exercises. If she can't put the brakes on the triple hop, that's what you have to laser focus your programming on, right? So the hop tests inform our programming and then you should make sure your programming is on point. So if the strength is there, you know, you do the isometric test and they're in the nineties, you do the, the, the step down test and it's there and they're in the nineties, you know, and then you're doing any hop test that involves time and they're lacking the other side. Well, now we know it's the elastic strength. So now you're focusing on the plow metrics that we talked about before. Short ground contact times, reach through the ceiling, the floor is hot, those kind of things. That's what we're working on in, in therapy. So again, the tests inform the programming. Dan, that was a wonderful look at end range ACL reconstruction rehab. I think not only just your expertise, but also some data behind it and and gave us some really solid things to start with. Is there anything else that you want to make sure that you like pass on to your students? I mean, you are you mentor so many people. Um, you've influenced so much in physical therapy. Is there anything else that you want to pass on to the listeners of JOSPT? Be an expert at the basics. Don't overthink this. Squat, push, pull, hinge. That's what we need to do. The lower, the better in the late stages. So you've got to get down there. So pistol squats to different heights, increase that single leg box height. You don't have to have Disneyland to do a good job. Have an athlete step on an 18 inch step and do a four or five second eccentric lower. That's going to tell you a whole lot. And it's going to inform a lot of your programming. You don't have to make this difficult. Test and retest. If you know, if you don't, you know, as George Davies said a long time ago, again, another one of my mentors, so grateful to have worked with him. You know, test, don't guess. You have to know what you're doing, and then the the testing results inform your programming. Understand the the, the stuff I mentioned earlier about the repetition ranges, and that's gonna. If you ask yourself, what is my training objective today, or this week, or this month? What is my objective? And everything you do in your program should direct that. And again, force into the ground least amount of time on ground as possible. Are your interventions looking at those two factors? If you're doing all of those things, I think you're in really good shape to get a great outcome for your people. That's awesome. Thank you, Dan, so much for sharing your wisdom, sharing your expertise. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's, this is going to be... Baller episode. Just, it's a, there's a wealth. There's a Yeah, just a baller episode. Thanks so much. So we want to thank Dr. Dan Lorenz again for coming on the show and sharing his insight. And as always... Thank you all so much for listening to JOSPT Insights. Thanks for listening to this episode of JOSPT Insights. For more discussion of the issues in musculoskeletal rehabilitation that are relevant to your practice, subscribe to JOSPT Insights on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google, or your favorite podcast app. If you like JOSPT Insights, help others find us. Tell your friends and colleagues and rate and review us. To keep up to date with all the latest JOSPT content, be sure to follow us on Twitter, we're at JOSPT, and Facebook, we're JOSPT Official. Talk with you next time. Mm